We are in a new series now, but not just totally changing gears. I think continuing in because when we talk about the gospel and we talk about race and gender and all these things, it's important to talk about and we need to talk about it and we're going to continue to talk about it. But if you don't realize that there's something going on behind the scenes, that there's more happening than just your spouse or your kids are freaking out or your roommate, you're going to find them as the enemy instead of knowing your real enemy. And so this series, we're going through scripture. We started last week, scripture in this series called Wait, What? Turn to your neighbor and say, Wait, What? There you go. You got to get in it. You got to help me out. First service was talkative. Like, yeah, woo, preach it. That's what I'm, I'm looking for. I need an amen. Don't make me shout for it. Now, as we get into this message and we're going to talk about the spiritual world, we're going we're gonna to geek out a little bit more. Now, what's interesting if you listen to anybody talk about church and, and how you should pastor is they say you should speak on a third grade level to your congregates. Is that insulting or what? Uh, I just want to let you know that's what the gurus say. And yet today we're going we're to go a little bit deeper because I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But I want to build it by giving an, an understanding of kind of where we're going and why this is important. I want to ask you this question besides wait what. I want to ask you this question. How many of you guys like Marvel movies? Anybody into Marvel movies? Yeah? Into in some of these guys? You know, that we've got over a decade of movies where they're building these characters and they're building this story. And, and people just really get into it. And some of them say, man, I really like the movies. I'm cool. I like that. You know, some of them are like, man, I just, man, I can really get into it. And I can geek out and nerd out. Some of you, I know uh, one of our elders, Jay, um, he's a big comic book guy. Any comic book people in here? Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be, look at you like, I know I'm a nerd, but uh, okay. You talk to the comic book people, and they're always like, ah, that's not right, or ah, they're doing something different. Or they'll give you some kind of detail that you miss, like, and it should enhance your viewing because you're going, oh, I didn't know that about the storyline and all this kind of stuff. And, and as you're getting into this story, it's really building into a place where just everybody dies. I mean, that's kind of where we are in the story right now, if you've watched the Avengers. But we know everybody's not going to die. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry, right? But they're building a story and one on top of the other. It kind of should build on top of one another. Some people might say, man, I really get into it. I, I love to get into like just the creative aspect of it. Some people are like, man, I, I really get into the actual storyline. Again, some people get super into the comics. Some people might say, you know, I, I, I like, I get into like commentary and like theories. In fact, what's interesting is uh, you could see some theories. I just Googled. Uh, right here, I googled Marvel Universe theories, and only nine million five hundred twenty thousand results pulled up. People are into this, aren't they? And and it's not bad, but it, it's a story. We love stories, and I think we're also enamored with like the supernatural aspect. Like as we go through our day to day lives and the mundane and just the natural, there's something appealing about more. Like something greater or something helping you defeat enemies and take over. And we love this story, and I think there's a reason behind that. What's also interesting is you look over here to the right, you go to the next slide, you can see they have top 10 Marvel Cinematic Universe Easter eggs. Anybody know what an Easter egg is? 
As you're watching the movie, they have these things called Easter eggs. So it'll be like something that they showed in one movie and then they came back to the other movies like, oh, that's what they're doing. And like it, it's something you found, like an Easter egg that's just, oh, that, that brings the story to a whole other level. And if you talk to somebody, I mean, they, you talk to people, they really geek out about this stuff. And, and, and that's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad at all. So I know we're in church and you're, you feel like you're supposed to feel bad for everything. I'm not saying that's bad. In fact, I think it's intriguing. It's very interesting that we're so enamored by this story and we build our lives in billions of dollars in it. In fact, um, one of my best friends in the church, Josh Lai, I've known him for a long time. He loves, his favorite part about these movies is the score, like the musical part about it. You know what I'm talking about? Now I'm going to switch genres because I think DC movies aren't as good as Marvel movies, so I know we got some fanboys. But the music is really interesting. If, if for instance... If you think about Man of Steel and when it came out, Superman, like what they do with the music enhances the story. And it's like the creative, the story, the CGI, the art, and then the music. And it's just this whole world into this mission building this story that we're all enamored with. Let's, let's hear a little bit of this music and it, maybe it'll do something for you. something about not just the story and the graphics, but then when they have music behind it, it creates an emotion and even more attachment to it. What about this one? This one's for the ladies. Here we go. Wonder Woman. I love this score. This is great. Go ahead. Yeah, this one like, makes you want to fight somebody. See, you know what I'm talking about. Josh, you know what I'm talking about. I see you, I see you nodding. You like that. I like, I know. You, you, like, it just does something to you, and it creates another dimension in the story. And all of these layers create more investment and more passion and more intrigue. And yet, it is a comic book. Like, it's, it's not bad. It's not good necessarily. It's good entertainment, and I love it too. I love to take my kids to it. But... What is it going on maybe that we like it so much because we are in a story right now? You're in a cosmic story, an earthly story where there's victories and there's battles and there's good and there's evil and things are going around that you don't even understand. And see, you need to not just get into that story, you need to get into this story right now. And what I want to do is take us on a journey into the story of Scripture. Because I have a conviction in church that a lot of the times people don't understand the whole story of God, so they're not building like hearing the music and seeing the art and seeing all the elements from Old Testament to New Testament to really build this mission, to realize... I'm a part of this story. I have a role to play, and there is something more going on than I even realize. And see, if you don't understand that, and if we don't show you some of these things in Scripture, I think you go around just living vicariously through other stories instead of getting victory in the story that you're in. I want to create a picture and a worldview for you, and, and I'm convinced we need it. Let me give you an example. I found an article and in this article, it says, Amanda, a 28-year-old Los Angeles resident, prays nightly and believes in Jesus. 
She also chants, goes to Kundalini, meditates with a group, and is into crystals. The energy they hold is this ancient energy, she says. It helps your own energy when you work with them, when you're near them. According to a recent Pew Research poll, she's not alone. Most Americans mix traditional faith with beliefs in psychics, reincarnation, spiritual energy that they say can be found in physical objects such as mountains, trees, and crystals. See, I think in our society, especially Western culture, because we don't talk enough about some of these things, people know innately there's more going on and there is a spiritual realm and we're drawn to it, but we're going to find it somewhere and let's mix it with all these things. Instead, doesn't the Bible talk a lot about this stuff? Can't we learn something? And some of you in here can nerd out and really geek out on this stuff. And, and let me say, I, I would highly recommend Tim Mackey's uh, Bible Project podcast. Michael Heiser has a great podcast called The Naked Bible Podcast. Such a great podcast. And I'd recommend these people because they love Jesus, but they geek out about this stuff. So some of you are going to really geek, just like Marvel, like you geek out about this stuff. Some of you are just like, yeah, I kind of like it. I like the Bible and I understand it. And, and I would say, if you're a Christian, I hope you're at least there. If you're not, we might need to talk. Because you might want to like, like I, I don't fully understand the story. But I'm here to say, the more you understand it and get in it, the more layers and the music and the art. And it creates this world that you understand. And now you can fight and battle in your world as well. And I would say this, this would be my takeaway for this message, that's Jesus came to do a whole lot more than just get you through the door. Through the door of the church and through the door of salvation. Now that's the beginning and it's great and it's simple, which is beautiful. Even a child can understand. However, he has more for you than you even realize. And you don't even, I promise, you probably don't even understand fully what it is Jesus has done. But the more you understand the greater love, appreciation, grace, and victory you experience in your life. That's why we get in the scripture. Now, the Apostle Paul, we're going to read in the book of Ephesians. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's explaining things that he sees out of a worldview, a framework, an understanding of the whole picture of God, that the Bible is one story leading ultimately to Jesus and our redemption to take back and restore God's creation the way he designed it initially. Ephesians 6 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so there's a devil. Here we go. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against, I get that, authorities, man. Forget Trump. Forget these guys. No, that's not what it's saying, right? Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wait, what? Now, if you don't at some point go, wait, what? You might not really be paying attention to the scripture because Paul didn't come up with this on his own. He found this in the Old Testament in understanding the story of God, which is what I want to show you a little bit today. Can we geek out a little bit? Is that okay? Okay. 
Psalm 82, I want to start here because I want to build a framework for where we're going to go. Psalm 82 says this. God has taken his place, let's read it slow, in the divine council. Now, when you read the Bible, okay, let's get some picture, right? Let's get that art involved. Maybe there's some music behind it, right? I mean, like something's happening. We're understanding. We're trying to figure out what is going on. So there's this divine council. It says this, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Immediately you should go, wait, wait, gods? Okay, wait, this is super primitive, right? So you're thinking like Greek mythology. And yet, no, this is, this is the scripture. How long, he's talking to the gods, will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, think about this. Give justice, he's telling them, you give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Verse 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Wait, what is going on? What is this about? I'm going to show you several scriptures today, but I'm trying to paint a bigger picture for your worldview. Because I don't think the devil's after your kids. I don't think he's after your finances. I don't think he's after your marriage. I think he's after you. Because if he gets you, he'll get your finances. And he'll get your kids. And you'll hide your wife and hide your kids. See, there's something going on. There's a bigger picture that I want to show you because I think it will actually help you build a framework. Just like in these, if you ever watch these Avengers movies and this one story leading to something, if you just started on the, in the middle or in the last, and you came to a movie and you came in an hour late, you're going to be lost. And see, Paul's not coming in late. He's reading scriptures, and it's giving him a worldview in order to understand what's going on. See, every time you drive on 610 and someone cuts you off, or there's like a dog in the middle of the road or something crazy. I mean, the other day I was, I was driving, and I mean, I'm dodging. My wife had to dodge a ladder on 288, a ladder. And, and every time you try to do something, you mow your lawn, you weed it, you make it look good. Two weeks. It's rough again, man. And you're just like, why is life so hard? Like, it seems like things should just be easy. If you just use your blinker, obey traffic laws. Oh, I get so mad about people not using their blinker. I'm just casting down like fire and brimstone and just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But we know innately, like, something's wrong. Something's gone wrong. But what is it? And like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to try to figure it out and numb myself. And yet the scripture says something has gone wrong. See, God, what's it, what this picture that we're painting, and we're going to paint more. We're going to color some more. But this picture that we're painting is there is God, and he has this divine counsel like his staff. 
And it says they are Elohim. When you see the word God, typically in Hebrew, it's Elohim. Anytime the word I am, im is at the end of a Hebrew word. We're geeking out a little bit. But anytime it's there, it's a plurality. And so when it says God, like you are gods, now all of this is capitalized. It should be like a lowercase g. The idea is Elohim. You are Elohim, which means a spiritual being. There is more going on than just the people you see. There are spiritual beings governing the earth, and he in the scripture is saying, you're not doing it right. And he ends by saying, I will end up casting you down, and you will die like men. I will judge you. Because listen, something went wrong. Now, we talk a lot about in our church, like the whole Bible picture is there's a creation, and God makes it good, and multiply, and then there's a fall of man, and then there's redemption, and then there's a restoration, ultimately, that God is getting us to. He has this big picture that something went wrong, we fell, everything's going down, and God says, I've got a goal and a picture of how to restore it and make it even better. That's what we're heading towards. That's what God is building. But listen, there's more than just a fall of man. There was a fall of spiritual beings as well. Let me give you a little bit of picture, like in a graph, of what this looks like. We've got God's divine counsel, so imagine his staff, and Yahweh God, in fact, in Hebrew, we would call him Yahweh Elohim. What's really interesting, if you really geek out, and like you get into Genesis, and it says, God created the heavens and the earth, that word is Elohim. So as the children of Israel are reading, reading what Moses is writing, they're saying, okay, there's this God that creates all this. And they're going, man, who is this God? Like I know of their God and the Egyptian gods, and I know of that God, but you're telling me there's this God that created all of this? That's a powerful God. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time it calls him Yahweh Elohim. And it's now saying, not just any God, the most high, the God of gods. Like the rest of those are like little kitty cats. He's a lion. The God of gods. That's why when you read the scripture, it'll say like, their gods are not our God. There is no rival. But see, it, it doesn't mean there's no other gods. It means compared to God, they ain't nothing. And I'm telling you, this picture that Scripture paints will help your worldview when you're dealing with hardships and pain, and when you're dealing with trouble. Because you have this picture of God on his throne, the Godhead, the Trinity, and then you have the sons of God, which literally translate sons of Elohim, which we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 32. This is a prince's of. Last week we showed that Scripture in Daniel 10, where Daniel's praying and the angel comes to him and says, hey, I couldn't get here, man. The, the prince of Persia was keeping me. Like there's another layer, another level, which we're going to explain. And then the Malachim, which is angels, see that em again, angels or messengers. And we see, now I'm not mentioning here, we've got cherubim, seraphim, which is a whole other thing. We could really geek out about that kind of stuff. And it's super interesting, but most of you won't care. And then, of course, you have Satan. Now, what's interesting about Satan is it never calls him Satan. Like, that's his name. Or devil, like that's his name. Or Lucifer. Those are all attributes. In fact, there's no pronoun given to the evil one. Because it's like God is saying throughout Scripture, you aren't even deserving of a name. It's amazing. It always will say like Satan, but it actually in Hebrew will say the Satan, which means the accuser. So it gives him these, a Lucifer's morning star. It's not giving him a pronoun because he's not deserving of it. Not even to be named the name of which we do not name. 
Harry Potter. Okay, so we've got this idea of the divine counsel. Now, let me, let me play this out a little bit more because I told you there's a fall of man, which we know in Genesis chapter 3. Eve saw the fruit. It says she saw it with her eyes. She saw that it was good. The Hebrew word is tov, good, and she took it, and that was the fall of man, instead of seeing what God has for his glory, I'm going to take it for my own pleasure. Now look what happens in Genesis chapter 6 as I build this. Check this out. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, the word here is Elohim, it's talking about spiritual beings, saw that the daughters of man, women, were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, or giants, were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Wait, what? Doesn't this sound like a comic book? And it should, because there's something that happened on the cosmic level as God is creating. Something happened here, and I, I believe we see here a fall of cosmic proportions, a rebellion. And here's, I believe, one of the places that it starts. He says this, these spiritual beings, sons of God, saw that women, look, they saw just like Eve saw the fruit were attractive. The actual Hebrew word there is not attractive. It's good. Tov. Saw that women were good and like the apple took them for themselves. And this is where God says, uh, no, this is not what we do. And, and it's interesting. You get, I mean, we can really geek out. You get into like the Nephilim and the giants and, and there's all sorts of ideas. And so uh, scholarly levels and whatever you want to believe. I actually do believe uh, Michael Heiser and some of these guys, I love what they say about Nephilim, that they're the giants, that they are literally half spiritual beings, half men that were giants, and there's tons of reports throughout. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, it's so interesting. You know, David is conquering a giant, and then Joshua is going through the, the place, and everywhere he goes, they're conquering giants, as if God is saying, look what you started, I'm ending it. Because there's a storyline here, and I'm not going to allow you to take over. It's really an interesting picture of a fall spiritually. Now, check out Deuteronomy chapter 32, because, again, we're just building. I want to get a bigger picture because it's easy to think, okay, how, okay, we have God, but God's in control, right? Like, he knows everything, but I want you to understand, God sets, just like you and me, he sets free will in us, because he's not interested in people that are just robots following him because they have to. He wants people to choose to follow him because they love to, and they love him. And the same way he's created us with that, he's also created other spiritual beings with that same kind of free will. So you imagine the anarchy when things go wrong. Because now it's that person's will, it's that person's will. And here's how God operates. He has a plan. He knows what's going to happen. But he loves using you and me and other people in delegated authority to fulfill his plan. That's what he is doing and demonstrating. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8 through 9 says this. Let's read it slow. When the most high, that's God, 
gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God, the Elohim. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted heritage. Now you say, what is this talking about? We get this picture of a cosmic rebellion and downfall. God brings a flood. Then we have a picture of a Tower of Babel, which we're going to show you in a second. But Moses here says this. Stick with me. Watch this. He says, I want you to understand what happened back then. When God divided mankind because we went astray and the Tower of Babel happened, he divided us in language and culture. He says he fixed the borders of the people according to the sons of God. Here's what he's saying. He dispersed the men and then he gave spiritual entities territory. And he says, but the Lord's portion, my people, is Israel. So he said, Y'all want to go your own way? You want to do your own thing? Fine. You, you spirit, you're over that nation. You're over that nation. You're over that nation. You delegate that. You do it for, for my glory. But I, I'm not going to continue with these people. But my portion, my people is going to be Israel. And you see that understanding. It helps build and understand what's happening throughout the Old Testament. You see things as God is, is bringing him, his people back ultimately to himself. Romans 1 actually says, Paul says, you know what? God lends you to your lusts and to the gods that you want ultimately. That's his passive wrath. If you say, man, I really want, he's like, okay, like I'm going to lend you to your desires. And this is what we see happening here. Let's look at this Tower of Babel incident. Genesis 11 says this. And the Lord God came down to the city and to the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. I want you to pay attention. They're one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse, pay attention, their language so that they may not understand one another's speech, so that the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left all building, they left off building the city. Therefore, verse 9, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So when they raised up and they said, we're not going to you, you come down to us and we're gonna build this altar, God says, this ain't right. I'm done, I'm dividing them out. You're gonna be their God, you're gonna be their God, you're gonna, but my portion is Israel. Now, God is building a framework for us throughout scripture for us to see that he is very much interested in bringing us back into relationship with him and understanding the victory that we have in him. Now, as we nerd out and we're looking at some of these things, I want to show you, say, what, what is this about? We're going to get to some practical. But as we get into Acts chapter 2, check this out. The culmination of Jesus' 
life, death, and burial, a, 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 a resurrection. He comes up. You have to understand, as he enters into the world, we all of a sudden hear him talking to people and delivering people from demons and all these things happening. And the demons would shout out things like, hey, why are you coming already? Is it, is it time already? Because they know their time is up. They know they've been doing the things they've been doing. They've been causing and wreaking havoc and rebellion and stirring the nations against God. And Jesus shows up on the scene and they're talking he's like be quiet there's so much so they're like hey send me into a pig or something like don't cast me down yet I know our time is coming because God has this plan and his desire is to use Jesus to begin the frustration and the infiltration of the enemy to bring back listen the nations to himself so it culminates up to this point. He has died. He is resurrected. And we have the disciples and the people with him in Acts chapter 2. Look what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, this is going to sound, sound familiar. You're going to get a little bit of uh, Bible Easter eggs. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, if you're not paying attention, you miss it. This is God restoring what happened in Genesis 11 and bringing back in the culmination of all things to say, listen, there were people from every nation, Jews from every nation, back in one place, in one accord, and instead of dividing them into different nations and different tongues, he brings them, gives them one tongue. And I'm going to show you what this looks like. Acts chapter 2, check this out how they work together. Here's a little Easter egg. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, right? Suddenly there came the sound of mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, what we just read, and divided tongues. Now, if you look in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. If you look in what's called the Septuagint, it's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. This word divided is the exact same word that's in Deuteronomy 32. And what the ninja, the literary ninjas of the scripture, along with the spirit of the Holy Spirit, is trying to convey to you is, hey, this word, go back here. This is what's happening. Deuteronomy 32. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind and fixed the borders of the people according to the number of spiritual beings. What it's saying is, See, God had to divide them because of their rebellion, but he's bringing them back now. He's saying that's the same word, like that division that God was doing. I'm bringing it back ultimately into a culmination. Let me show you another one. In Acts 2, when it says here, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because they're hearing people speak in their own language. God is bringing the nations back to himself when the nations were dispersed before. You see the same word. In the Septuagint, in Genesis chapter 11, an Easter egg sending you back there. A, a Jew would immediately do that. See, we approach the scripture not with enough humility. 
Like if you're Jewish, you're approaching the scripture, you're going, oh my gosh, okay, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. And we need to humbly come to it. And they're going to see these same words, this word confused and bewildered, the same thing. And they're going to immediately track back to Genesis 11 and realize what is happening. God is now restoring all the nations back to himself. God is saying, listen, you rebelled and you did your thing, but I have a plan. And I'm going through with the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. Listen, not just save you and get you into the, into the door, but my goal and my job is to restore the nations back to me where I'm going to be all of their God. Like I'm going to take back where all of those angels and spiritual beings went wrong and what they're trying to do to exploit and change everything. I am going to take them back and I'm going to get the whole earth back to me. And if you're a Hebrew, you're reading this and you're going, God's doing it. See, I happen to think that the reason why the church was so powerful in the first century was not just because God just did something then that he's not doing now. I think they had an understanding and a worldview, even from the Old Testament, to say there's more going on than what meets the eye. There are nations at stake, and God is saying, I'm taken back. What the devil and the enemies have stolen and have tried to take over, I'm coming back for all of it. Before Israel was my portion, now it's all my portion. And he says, this is what Christ came to do. And see, if you don't understand this, if you don't have kind of this worldview, I think you're going to have some issues in life, in Christianity, in what it means to follow Christ ultimately. You say, okay, I'm going to wrap up. So what? I call this part, wait, what, so what? Here's my takeaway. You say, this doesn't, you know, Chris, just tell me how to have a good marriage. You know, just help me and my kids. I'm telling you, you get a worldview and understand what's going on and what Jesus has done for you. It'll change everything that you do. It's like fixing the foundation of the home. Everything's shifting and you might have a nice TV, but the home is falling apart. Here's my takeaway. Greater vision creates stronger position. What do you mean? Let me give you two positions. Number one, stronger position to embrace hardship. You ever seen the movie Braveheart? And in Braveheart, you've got like, they're in the middle of battle and, and you've got the commander up there and the general and he's looking out and he'll send out troops here and he'll send out the cavalry here and they're the ones fighting. And the, But the general... And his commanders kind of know what's going on. Like they're seeing the battle and they, oh, we might lose a little bit here, but we're going to flank him here. Like they know what's happening. Let me tell you, they have this bigger picture of what's going on. And so it helps them to have perspective. You and me oftentimes are like in the infantry, like fighting and, and like down in there. And, and we're like maybe hurting or dying or something's happening. And, and it's easy to go, what the heck are they doing up there? Because you don't have their perspective. A lot of you in life are just fighting things and struggling and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and let me tell you, having a bigger worldview of what's happening and what God is on mission to do to restore allows you to deal with hardship on a whole nother way. As Paul would say, I'm pressed down. But listen, I'm not destroyed. Like, I'm shaken and things are hard, but I know the end. I know I have a bigger perspective because I know what's happening right now. I know I'm in a battle. See, if you don't know, you're in a war. 
You're going to die every time. I say the, the second thing, greater vision creates stronger position. The second position, as I close, I think is this. A stronger position to fight hardship. I think sometimes we've got to embrace it like Paul says, man, I prayed and the, there was a thorn in the flesh. God said, in your weakness, I'm made strong. So sometimes we just have to embrace it, say, okay, God, I'm willing to go through anything because I know there's a bigger picture. Like there's a bigger story. It's not just about me. There's a grander scheme and you are trying to infiltrate the enemy and do something and change this world in order to bring it back ultimately for your glory. Okay, I can embrace it. But let me say, sometimes I I think God puts those hardships not for you to go okay and embrace it because you can easily go into victim mentality. Woe is me. God, God's just, man, he's, he's after me. Sometimes he calls you to embrace. Sometimes he calls you to fight. I think sometimes he puts something in your path and he goes, listen, I've given you the power, the authority, all godliness. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You know, that guy that restoring the nations, yeah, that's living inside of you. And so maybe, maybe you should get up and call that thing out. Maybe you should do something about your circumstance because it's not you alone. But see, God calls us co-laborers. I'm with you. You're with me. God with me. And so sometimes I need to step up and say, no, that's not happening. Not in my house. You don't have to just fall at every whim of sin or addiction. We were watching a movie the other day with my kids. And the person was talking about, you know, I just... I can't help it. This is how I was born this way, and I, I just created this way. And if, if God made me and God gave me these desires, then that's God. So it's good. What a horrible worldview. The Bible actually says, no, there's a lot of desires you have that are not of God. God didn't create you with those desires to ultimately fulfill you. He created you with desires that only can be fulfilled through him. So sometimes you embrace hardship. Sometimes you fight it, man. Sometimes you go, there is more going on, and God is putting this in my path to whoop. And you need to hear the music. Get your spirit up. Oh, I'm hearing that Superman. I'm hearing that Wonder Woman. It's something stirring in me because God's saying, I've got to fight for you to win because I've got nations on the inside of you that have been conquered by other gods and other things that I want to conquer now. And I've got things and nations on the outside of you that I am restoring and bringing back in the culmination of all things. God is on a mission. And if we don't have that worldview, we'll just come into a line with our own mission. And I guarantee you'll get bored and you'll start living vicariously through something. Whether it's a comic book or a movie or an addiction, Instead of God saying, you're in my story. You're my people. Our God is not like their gods. And listen, this isn't a militant way to do it. We do it in love and in grace. But man, when we're praying and we're believing, and we want to see change in people's life, I think we've got to fight for it. We don't roll over all the time. Let me show you Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm closing here. It says, for everything, there's a season. Time for every matter under heaven. Verse 8 goes down. Time to love, a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. 
this should always lead us to go, Holy Spirit, is this a time of war or a time to make peace? Make peace with my circumstance, make peace with my life. Do I need to be warring for my kids? Do I need to choose my battles, just love on them? What do I need to do? And only the Holy Spirit can answer that for you. But you need to understand something. What Jesus has done is more than just to get you through the door. He's on a mission. And if you can get this worldview that there are things battling, there are things against you. But if God is for you, who can be against you? What can our God do? That's why I love singing hallelujah. The highest form of praise. You're the greatest. Better than anything else, I don't want to serve any other God. I don't even want to serve myself. I want to restore your glory. Let's pray. Father, will you open our eyes, God, that there's more going on than what meets the eye, God. Will you open our eyes to know when to embrace hardship and when to fight it? God, will you fill us with your spirit? God, because we're helpless without you. Maybe you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. And you're trying all sorts of things. You're in all sorts of ideas and you don't understand like, Jesus loves you. Gave himself for you has a mission with you. And maybe in here you're just, you're kind of just doing your thing and yeah, I love the idea of God and like the grace of God, but you're not on mission with God. I want to encourage you and challenge you. That God wants you in the game. God wants you on the field battling with him, changing lives with him challenging and frustrating the enemy with him pushing through darkness with him as those given the keys and the authority to his kingdom if you don't know Jesus that way you don't have a real understanding and love for God and his salvation and his restoration I want to encourage you Make this your moment as I pray to come to him. Say, God, take my life. No other thing, God, entity, idol, human or other is worthy of my life. But you are because of your life. If that's you, just pray this prayer. Say, Father, thank you for your son. I recognize I'm a sinner. I have rebelled, and yet your son has saved. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. And you resurrected on a third day for me to be on your mission. Lord, take my life. 
Fill me with your spirit to be on mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen.